don't be too attached to the product because it's really all about the process. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudoua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, it's about launching on to convention season, and you're about to go and speak to homeschoolers across the United States at conferences about a dozen or so this year. It's a busy season. It it's is a, a busy schedule. Season. Yes. And what would you say are some of your most popular conference talks? Well, uh, certainly re- reaching the reluctant writer. Yep. You know, that's always been mm-hmm. well attended. <laughs> right. It's kind of the foundation for everything we do here at IEW, yeah, so it's it a good is. one. And mm-hmm. just, just the title grabs people. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, nurturing competent communicators right. talking about the importance of building the language patterns mm-hmm. through reading out loud to kids and uh, also through memorizing. Right. Uh, this year, I've actually taken one talk that I had, mm-hmm. teaching boys and other kids who would rather be making forts all day. Mm-hmm. And I'm dividing it into two talks okay. because I, I'm always running out of time. <laughs> uh, the talks just keep growing. So I'm going to have... I think every good teacher runs out of time. I think every teacher that's listening go, says, oh, Andrew Poudoua does that too? Well, I don't know. Maybe the good teachers plan plan ahead better. But, <laughs> so I'm taking the, um, the stuff, you know, about how boys and girls see and hear and handle stress and pain and learn differently. Mm-hmm. I'm going to expand that. Part of what uh, Dr. Sachs talked right. with us about and, a while ago. Yeah, and we had a podcast with him, which was fabulous. Yeah, and then I'm going to take the second half of that talk and make it into a whole talk on principles of motivation. Ah. Another talk that seems to always have a significant effect in that people walk up to me afterwards and say, I really needed to hear that, mm-hmm. is, of course, the four deadly errors of teaching writing. Well, do you mind if we take some time to talk about that particular talk? Well, we can't do all four in one podcast. No. Okay. Well, we'll 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 just see what happens and see how many podcasts it takes to talk about the four deadly errors. Now, you mentioned that people after the talk say, "Oh, that was so helpful." Do you think people will come to this talk because of the <laughs> intriguing title, well, or is it a little too pessimistic for it, them? The original concept was much worse. <laughs> okay. Uh, when I first started writing this thing, I, I was going to call it the seven deadly sins you could possibly commit when undertaking the teaching of writing to children. <laughs> okay. Um, but number one, that's way too long of a title. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, seven is just a little much to lay on people, and mm-hmm. I don't like running out of time. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it's not a moral thing, mm-hmm. the seven deadly sins, obviously an illusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I do kind of make a joke mm-hmm. at the beginning and say, you know, the only way I could give this talk is to have committed all these errors myself. So you use the word deadly because you needed an L-Y dress up? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I use it because it's an allusion to the seven deadly sins. Oh, got it. Uh-huh. But I do know that 
you know, one of these or one or more of these errors, when repeated, can kill mm -hmm. a child's interest in writing. It can kill a mom or a teacher's desire to keep teaching writing. Right. So there is a, a certain uh, potential fatality, okay. <laughs> uh, metaphorically, of course. I see. Okay, good. Well, can we start with that one? That... The first one? Yeah, yeah. I usually... Uh, I usually start with uh, this, not because it is hierarchically the worst or least of them, but because it's the most common okay. in our experience, and that would be overcorrecting. Overcorrecting. Okay. Deadly error number one, overcorrecting. Yeah. Now, there's two parts to that word. Okay. Over and correcting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's talk about this idea of correcting. I don't think it's the best word to use in the context of teaching writing to children. Okay. Um, number one, it implies wrongness. Right. Right. Number two, it sounds as though there's one right answer or one right way. Kind of like a math something. problem. Yeah. Well, there would be a right answer for a math problem. You know, in, in, in writing, there are things that people do which are not quite legal mm -hmm. grammatically. And we could name half a dozen famous authors right off the top, right. only very stylish, very effective. Mm -hmm. There's other things that people do which are perfectly legal and just don't work at all, mm -hmm. sound horrible in mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. So writing is not like math where it's kind of black and white. You mm -hmm. got the answer or you didn't. Mm -hmm. There's always you know, dozens or hundreds of ways to do it, some of which may be more stylish, more appealing, mm -hmm. others less. Mm -hmm. But the word correcting just doesn't fit well in that context. And then, of course, you know, correcting implies wrongness. And I don't know about you, but I don't actually enjoy the feeling of being wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? So if someone says, well, I need to correct you. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, it's true. I may need correction. We all do from time to time. Yes, we do. But it, it, it takes an emotional t drain, mm -hmm. right? It, t it takes a toll. So this is why I suggest that parents in particular change the word from correcting to editing. Oh, editing. Okay. Because let's face it, an editor is your friend. Mm -hmm. We have a couple very fine editors that yes. work with us. Yes. And I love them. Yes. <laughs> their, their job is to help me avoid looking stupid in public. <laughs> right. right, exactly. And every writer has at least one editor. Mm -hmm. In fact, many times writers will thank the editor mm -hmm. in the uh, little uh, acknowledgement, acknowledgement mm -hmm. section of a book. So an editor is kind of on your team. Uh, an editor's job is to help you be the best version of yourself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of changes the context right there. Right. And I think especially when you have, you know, um, a mom helping a, a child, in particular, a mom helping, a say, a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> I was just thinking <laughs> of my story with my son and how I got turned on to IEW is exactly that. He was 12 and we were fighting over writing. It's tough. Yeah. And, and he didn't know what I wanted and I didn't know how to give him what I wanted. I didn't know how to teach him what I wanted. So enter IEW. But yeah, there were lots of arguments mm -hmm. and me marking up his paper and saying this is wrong. And he would say, but I like it. So 
know, what do you yeah. do? Well, boys around that age start to have a bit more will and inner strength <laughs> yes. and a willingness to challenge. And mm-hmm. uh, making you happy is no longer the highest satisfaction in their life, you mm-hmm. know. And that's good. I mean, they all have to grow up. Right. Um, but when you say, you know, here, I'll, I'll serve you. I will make some good suggestions, right? Mm-hmm. That changes the context. Mm-hmm. The other thing would be the over-correcting okay, part right. of over-correcting, and that would be marking too many things. Mm-hmm. When you think back um, to when you were in school, it could be high school, college, I don't know. We may have all had at least one teacher who would just, you know, mark you know, dozens and dozens of things and give little mini lectures in the margin. And I mean, how many of us, when we got that paper, thought, oh, teacher, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sparing so much of your valuable time mm. to give me all this detailed feedback and advice. I'm going to pour over this and try to internalize all the wisdom so that I can do better next time. Nope. I don't think so. Nope. (laughs) Most people, and, you know, certainly most people like me, would get the thing and just look at it and think, I'm wrong. That's bad. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what she wants. I don't understand. I can't make her happy. Mm -hmm. I am bad at this. Mm -hmm. I hate it. And that, that can very quickly roll, especially if there's, you know, more than a few instances of this, into this real dislike and hatred of the thing. Of the work that they did, but also might be projecting onto the teacher who gave them all those really helpful comments, well-meaning, but they may now start to resent the instructor. Yeah. So I um, have come to believe that actually a minimalist approach is better Mm -hmm. when it comes to marking student papers. Mm -hmm. And I think this had its seed in one of Dr. Suzuki's most important teaching ideas. Okay. And that was the one-point lesson. Okay. So Suzuki would very often ignore all sorts of problems in a student's playing and just focus on one small aspect of that and then say, you know, go do this and that and work on this one thing. And then next lesson, perhaps it would be a different aspect. Mm -hmm. But he would never overload a student with too many corrections or advices all at once. Mm -hmm. And and that was deeply ingrained into me, uh, not just from him, but from other uh, masterful Suzuki method music teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I think I brought that to my teaching of other subjects. Right, right. And so let's let's point out a few things here which can be fixed easily. Mm-hmm. You could also design a little lesson around those things mm-hmm. um, and not try to fix everything and make it perfect all at once. Right. The, even as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of remembering things, you know, memorizing things. Like I think about the topic clincher rule, and maybe that's the thing that you're going to focus on for this, these next few weeks of lessons. How do they do it? You know, frequency, intensity, duration. How do kids actually internalize something that you're trying to teach them? If you have too many that you're working on all at once, you couldn't possibly know them well enough to be able to 
Well, and it's it's kind of like the easy plus one hmm. philosophy exactly. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, let's work on one thing until it appears to be smooth and easy, mm-hmm. and then add in another complexity. So right. growing the checklist gradually. Right. And, of course, anyone who's taught with the structure and style system for any length of time realizes that that checklist is such a godsend mm-hmm. when it comes to making grading if necessary, objective. Right. So you did it or you didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, right. It's not, you know, do I like it or not? Right, right. Uh, so that idea of of being able to be very objective about grading and then taking a minimalist approach to editing. Uh, I also discovered that as I was teaching other people's children, mm-hmm. you know, and you get a, I'd get a little class of 10, 15 kids, the worst thing is having that little stack of 15 papers. Right. Even if they're just a couple paragraphs long, but whoa, if it's, you know, a five, seven paragraph length of essay or paper, it's just so depressing <laughs> to have to sit there and mark all these papers and feel like you have to do, you know, 20 or 30 minutes on each one, which is what it would take to do that fix every single thing, give all the mini lectures in the margin, give all the helpful hints at the, at the end, etc. So uh, I also uh, came across an interesting statistic. Uh, according to the National Council of Teachers of English, mm-hmm. what is the number one reason students don't do more composition in school? Because they're not very good at it? No. Because teachers don't like marking papers. <laughs> okay. And I have to admit this. As I'm listening to this, and I, you know that I taught school for a couple of years, but the grade that the grade that I loved to teach was first and second grade, those, those grades, because they're young and they love their teacher. And, and maybe it's because there's not a lot of grading. But I'm thinking of the teachers who are listening to this right now, that middle school teacher who's got five sections uh. of English and there's not 15 papers per class. There's 30 yeah. or more papers per class. Can you imagine having to grade what 150, 150 papers, papers a week? That's a full-time job. It, it in would and of kill itself. you. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't want that many papers. You so wouldn't. overcorrecting is dangerous not only to the student but, <laughs> but to, the, to teacher. the teacher. So um, one thing I kind of – stumbled into, mm-hmm. which has worked out fairly well, I think, in most cases, uh, especially in the homeschool world. This this would be harder in a school, mm-hmm. but it could still be attempted. And that is the idea of asking the students to hire an editor. Right. Um, because, you know, I don't want to have to slog through all of the dumb little things that slip in. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to focus on structure and style. And if it's there, great. If it's not there, note that quickly, you know, be done with it. Mm-hmm. Give it back to the student. The grade is A or I, accepted, accomplished, or incomplete. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, little spelling and punctuation and complete sentence stuff, most moms can can do that. Mm-hmm. They can fix that. Mm-hmm. So I would say to my students, first assignment of the year, Go hire an editor. Okay. And I am not it unless you want to pay $100 an hour. <laughs> you, know, you can hire, you know, you can hire an older sibling. Mm-hmm. You could hire 
your grandma.、Mm-hmm. You could hire a friend if they're smarter than you are. You could even hire your mom, but you do have to know the difference between a mom and an editor. Okay. Do you know the difference? Well, you pay your mom. No, you no. don't pay your mom. Well, you pay your editor. Well,、oh, you pay your that, see an editor will kind of fix up your paper and hand it back with no lecture attached. Oh, a right. A mom, for some reason, wants to sit you down and go over it,、mm-hmm. which essentially means explain why she made every mark on every paper to each child, and. I'm afraid that that is probably one of the least effective things, right? Especially if you have a child who isn't prone to wanting all of that、mm-hmm. good, helpful advice. Right, right. I actually noticed this years ago before I met you, and I just started IEW. I published my little newsletter and other things. I didn't have anybody to help me,、mm-hmm. right?、Mm-hmm. So my wife. Would proofread the stuff I wrote,、mm-hmm. and she's half decent at that. Yeah, and I remember giving her like an article that I was going to put in the newsletter, and she would mark it up, and then she would sit down, and say, explaining, try to explain why she made every、mm-hmm. mark she、mm-hmm. made, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I do not need this. <laughs>、um, You know, just give it to me, and I will look at your suggestions and decide if I agree or like them or right. not. Yeah. And and I thought at that moment, wow, if I feel this way、mm-hmm. with my wife, who I love so much,、mm-hmm. as a semi mature adult, <laughs> if I'm having this emotional feeling, think about a poor little boy and his mom. Right. And so,、um, so I kind of encourage, you know, parents. In fact, I even write a letter. To the editor, and、mm-hmm. it goes something like this: "Congratulations on being hired as my student's editor." Right. <laughs> Now, here's what I'd like you to do, and、mm-hmm. then I explain: Don't make it good;、mm-hmm. just make it legal. Don't give a whole lot of advice. Just technically get it to the point where the student can implement those changes. I can look at it, and we move forward. Right. And l- let me just speak to that for a moment. I we have we have extensive show notes with every podcast. And so I'm just going to say that you know we have a great team that puts that together for us, and we'll put a link in the show notes to that letter to the editor, letter to my editor. So it's for the student to give to whoever is to whomever is editing their paper.、Yes. I had to correct myself right there. Edited that, but I think the kids that are writing are just like you and me. They're writing fast. Their their brain is moving faster than their hands, and so they're skipping words or they're not realizing that was a sentence fragment. And so maybe they're not being careful. But I imagine it's that they don't know. It's not that they don't know how to do it. They know they just went too fast, and the editor can help with them. But I also think about the student who is learning these new stylistic techniques, and and they just sound goofy at the beginning. You've got an article called "It's So Awkward,"、right. and just talk about that, and we'll link to that one as well. And so, so speak to that for a moment. The value of just having them correct what's legal. Yeah, just、uh, like I said, make it legal,、mm-hmm. not try to make it good. Then when I look at it. I can look at oh, there's an awkward usage, or this style technique needs some more、uh, examples.、Mm-hmm. We need to talk this through, and why does this work and that not work? In fact, one of the books that、um, I 
sold Once Upon a Time that had a very big influence on us here at IEW was this little book called Grammar with a Giggle, mm-hmm. where the author suggested that you take your student papers. She was a school teacher. Take your student papers and extract from those student papers mm-hmm. some of the uh, grammatical errors or goofy usages mm-hmm. that kids do and write those into a story, mm-hmm. um, changing the words to protect the innocent. Right. And then uh, give that to the kids so they can practice editing or fixing those things which are the same things they're doing in their own writing, only they notice it more easily. Right. Um, and, you know, I love the idea of that book, and I I did it myself pretty successfully, mm-hmm. but what I found is most teachers and almost all homeschool moms just don't have the time right, to right. construct those things. Mm-hmm. And that was really the birth of our, uh, what is now hugely successful fix-it grammar yeah. program. Yeah, and that's great because there's those embedded errors, but first they teach and then they practice and then they practice again so that they're really internalizing these grammar concepts. Right, and and, and it's, you know, grammar, it's usage, it's... Um, punctuation, mm-hmm. it's uh, homonyms and spelling mm-hmm. that, that are common errors. Mm-hmm. I, I've noticed with myself and with almost everyone, it's easier to find those things in someone else's writing. Isn't that the truth? Yep. You know, if it, when you write something and then you read what you wrote, it seems right. Mm-hmm. Well, it seemed right. That's why you wrote it in the first place. Right. And so you read it again, and it still seems okay. And so it, it's actually very hard to edit yourself. Mm-hmm. It seems to be much easier, especially for children, to find those things in something other than what they wrote. So having the contrived embedded error editing program that the fix-it is, mm-hmm. is the best kind of practice, really, I think, to, to teach editing skills. And then what you see is, of course, it carries over. Right. Right. The kids, you know, have to find the end of the sentence, put a period in the capital, and do that a (laughs) hundred times and fix it one and two. Mm -hmm. And then they start to notice, oh, this is one of those spots where I should probably put a period in the capital, you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so there's a a carryover that, uh, that works very well, I think. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to mention in our Structure and Style for Students video courses, you don't necessarily create assignments for the students where you create a story based on their errors, but you bring out the errors that that class made and write it on the board and you ask the kids to fix it. Right. And you do that over and over again. And it's I think it's super helpful in learning maybe a new stylistic technique that you thought or mm-hmm. just a, a, a fun way to teach uh, agreement, subject-verb agreement, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, if one student does something that's a little goofy, it's a good chance that other students in that same group have or will do that similar thing. Right. So what I would do is, you know, I'm basically I'm just reading the paper looking to be sure, does it have all of the, the things on mm-hmm. the checklist? And is there anything goofy that could become an object lesson? Mm-hmm. And then I would just copy that sentence onto a different piece of paper, yep. and I might get half a dozen goofy things, and then I would choose a couple, Right. throw it on the board, change a few words to protect whoever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually wrote it so yeah. they don't feel picked on. Or, yeah. Yeah. And then 
uh, just have a little conversation, fix it together. And, uh, you know, it's just one more little bit of information that adds up to the total mass of information that students acquire about usage. Great. So overcorrecting, the solution to the problem, the deadly error of overcorrecting is to have a checklist so the teacher and the student know what they're going to be actually accountable for. Mm -hmm. Have the student hire an editor so anything goofy gets caught before the paper is turned in. Um, Let me just ask you, let me insert a question there. What if it is a homeschool environment and there is only one person looking at that paper? So does the student then hire another editor outside of the mom who is the teacher? Well, like I said, you can hire your mom, Mm -hmm. but the mom has to have the mentality. Mm -hmm. I'm being an editor. Now I'm the editor. My job, yeah, yeah, put on the hat, Mm -hmm. right? My job isn't to correct this child and point Mm -hmm. out every single thing that could have been better. Right. But to minimally edit to make it legal, not good, mm-hmm. hand it back with a smile, mm-hmm. no lecture attached, mm-hmm. child rewrites or, you know, if they're working on a keyboard, they would put in those changes, mm-hmm. produce the most perfected version of it that they can, mm-hmm. score it A, 100%, or something's still missing, do it one more time, and then just be done with it. Right. And and don't don't be too attached to the product Mm -hmm. because it's really all about the process. Right, right. And uh, I think, you know, moms can do that. It's just they have to practice a little bit. Right. I find it's always easier to be nicer to other people's children. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a plug for co-op classes, maybe an online class with an IEW instructor. Well, you know, there's some things I think are taught well Mm -hmm. in a one-on-one or a student working individually with a tutor mm-hmm. available. Um, math, I think, would fall in that category because everyone's kind of at a mm-hmm. different place on the pathway. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of collaboration or right. imagination works its way into <laughs> most math. I mean, there could be some. Um, spelling would mm-hmm. be another thing. But writing, I really like being able to teach in in small groups Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because as soon as you've got a few people contributing to the conversation, then it's a case where someone has an idea that someone else might not have had, Mm -hmm. but because it kind of gets stirred up, Mm -hmm. those ideas are now available to anyone who wants to use them. And so it does promote kind of a, a freer environment. Right. Um, you know, it's like if you had to sit down and, you know, figure out what to do all by yourself, you're not going to have nearly as many ideas as if you get your team and you ask a bunch of questions and you freely uh, share, Yes. you know, even an idea that might seem crazy at the time. Yep, yep. Then you can sort through and filter. Mm-hmm. We do this in business all the time. Right, yep. Uh, we do it in research and higher education. Right. So the idea that a child, you know, should should be limited in their access and have to think of everything they ever write all by themselves. Right. It's not very realistic in the way the world operates. Exactly. So I think uh, small groups are very convenient because you can kind of share ideas and vocabulary and maybe, you know, it's a crazy idea and somebody says, hey, that's really funny. I'll try that. Right. (laughs) And so it's just you you get a lot more. So I do encourage, you know, parents to, you know, at least if, you, if you've got, you know, two or three kids the same, 
you know, two or three years to, you know, teach them in in a group. Yep. uh, Or get a video where you've got a bunch of kids who are sharing a bunch of ideas. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's one way. Or do the video or do a, you know, do a class Mm -hmm. uh, with a manageable number. No one should teach 30 children writing all at once. And every teacher who's listening to this says, yes, you're right. (laughs) Um, You know, but... Whatever your comfort level is, right. you know, half a dozen, a dozen maybe. I've always liked 12. I've <laughs> always thought that's just a – I can keep an eye on everyone. <laughs> I can remember all their names. Right. I can see them all at once. Yeah. I can get everybody involved in the conversation. Yeah. But once you get into the 20-something, it's much, much harder. And that is, of course, the challenge of – full-time schools and teachers. Right. I want to I want to just ask you one more question as we're wrapping up this episode. You mentioned that teachers in schools don't assign writing assignments because they don't want to grade them. But yet we know that writing is a skill and the more you do it, the better you get at it. So yeah. overcorrecting, is that something that we can help teachers with so that they're assigning more writing assignments? Well, I think, you know, as we've mentioned it, if you can't say to your students, please go have someone else edit this thing, mm-hmm. um, possibly, in some cases, there's an aide that, mm, that right. could maybe do some of that. Yep. In a smaller kind of school, probably mm-hmm. a, a private school or charter school or something, mm-hmm. you might be able to bring in kids from a higher grade oh, right. yeah. uh, to help. I don't think peer editing generally works because if everybody's in fourth grade, half the kids may be no more than the other half, but it's a random mix. And yep. the person helping you may actually not know as much or, or have as be as facile. But if you can bring in a, a student who's a few years older, mm-hmm. you know, that's a possibility as yep. well. And then worst case scenario, you just take the super minimalist approach. Right. And you just blaze through those papers, keep the assignments shorter. Mm-hmm. Psychologically, a pile of one paragraphs is a lot easier to deal with right. than a pile of three or five paragraphs. Right, right. Three is re- manageable. Mm-hmm. Once you get into five, six, or more, mm-hmm. that just, it's, it takes so much time. Mm-hmm. But if you take the minimalist approach mm-hmm. and just fix what needs to be fixed, don't do mini lectures. Don't do explanations. Right. Make notes for your teaching. It should help you be more efficient. And just remember, the most important thing is not the product of the paper that you want to send home or hang on the wall or put in a portfolio. That's an artifact. Right. The most important thing is the experience the students are having as they're in class, as they're working on their outlines as they're working on their compositions. And, um, you know, if you can also be available to them while they're writing, Mm -hmm. that's the advantage that a a five-day-a-week school teacher has Mm -hmm. is you can do a little bit of in-class writing every day. Yep. You know, a hybrid or a co-op, it's kind of like, okay, here's the whole plan. Now go home and do it. Right. But if you can circle around the room and, you know, be available to the kids as they have a question, Mm -hmm. they may have a question like, should there be a comma here? Or could you help me think of a better word? Right. Or I can't find a, a who which clause for this. Can mm-hmm. you help me? Mm-hmm. Then you can intercept some of those yes. things that might need more after-the-fact right. editing stuff. So right. uh, a little bit of writing in class every day, being constantly involved and available, yeah. that helps a lot too. Awesome. Okay, Andrew. Well, we are out of time. So we'll wrap up Four Deadly Error 1 today. 
with a promise to get back to you for Deadly Air number two next week. How's okay. that sound? Sounds great. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.